Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where Earn In comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this, your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist, ASAP. We've been there and waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense and it adds unnecessary stress. With EarnIn, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the EarnIn app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip, and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with EarnIn, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Clutter under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's Clutter under Podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Well, hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the show. I'm Deanna Yates, and you are listening to episode 171 of the Wannabe Clutter-Free podcast. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Mel Hashi about what it was like to sell 80% of their family belongings and move halfway across the country, how that led to their set of family core values, and what made that change successful for their family. She shares some fun stories, so make sure you stay tuned to the end to hear all about how they've implemented these family values. But before we get into our conversation, I want to say a big thank you to you for joining me today. I hope you know how grateful I am that you are here with me, and my intention is that you will learn something today that will help in your daily life. If you enjoy what you hear, can you please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review for this show? You can rate the show on most podcast listening apps, but you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts, a comment on a specific episode on Spotify, or even a comment on Instagram. I'm at wannabeclutterfree on the social channels, my website, wannabeclutterfree.com slash 171, and perhaps on YouTube. There is never a shortage of places for us to connect. So go ahead and pick your favorite and come and connect with me there. But I would like to share a review I received recently. Love Being Debt Free says, and I quote, great show, five stars. I love the advice about teaching children not to second guess themselves. Awesome. End quote. Well, I am glad you've loved that one, being debt-free. It's one of my biggest aha moments from learning to declutter with our daughter uh, when I was teaching her how to do it and what we're, we were doing. So I am so happy that it is helping you too. And if you're listening to this and you haven't left a review yet, what are you waiting for? I would love if you would take a minute to give the show a shout out as well. 
Of course, I love reading your reviews. They make me very happy, but they also help the show grow so I can get more amazing guests on here for you to learn from. So thank you so much in advance. And now let's learn more about my amazing guest that's joining us today. Mel has a master's degree in social work from New York University. After five years of counseling families in abusive situations, she gave birth to her second son and decided to dedicate herself to being a stay-at-home mom. She pours herself into being a mindfully present and intentional mother throughout the various phases of her son's childhoods. Along with her husband, Joe, Mel is using her experience to build the strong family co-framework that any family can use to establish values and stress-free family leadership. So give this episode a listen, and when you are done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 171 to get the show notes for today's episode with links so that you can connect with Mel, plus there are links to all of the resources we mentioned on the show today. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 171. And now let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Mel. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here today. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I am excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. We were talking a little bit about before we started and hit the record button. I think we have a lot of similarities in our stories. And so this will be a lot of fun to chat about. But before we get into that, please, can you tell my listeners about you and your family and how you're helping busy families these days? Yeah, of course. So my name is Mel. I'm a mom of three boys, um, ages 13, 11, and 5. And I'm married to my husband for almost 17 years. We met in high school, so we've known each other for a long time. The way we got to this point, honestly, is my husband was working a lot. He was almost like a workaholic, maybe, let's say, a decade ago or so. And I was home with the kids a lot. And we were just kind of trying to figure out our groove. Eventually, he had learned so much from interviewing and meeting with business owners. He became an entrepreneur. So he went from teaching to becoming to having a business. We had a couple of gym facilities. And one night we were talking and we said, what if we applied some of our business concepts to home life, to family life? Because honestly, you don't really, you're not taught how to raise a family. You can hope that you have a great example from childhood. Like if things go great, you have wonderful parents, so you're you learn all the skills that you need. That's great. But otherwise, people are kind of left just hoping for the best. So we had set our core values, which was really the biggest, important, life-changing thing for us ever. It was, so you go to a business, sometimes they'll have like their mission statement on the wall or their core values. And some companies just kind of have them on the wall and some truly live them. Some filter all of their decision making and just forward movement through their core values. And we thought we want to apply this to family. That's what we did. And that ended up leading us to the big decision to move cross country. And that was all during COVID when everything was shut down. And my husband said to me, what if we just moved? And I said, you're crazy. Like, that's crazy. That's not something that I'm not the kind of person that moves, right? Like my family's here. We have little kids. Grandparents want to spend time with them. But truly having those core values like set us on this path to making more, just more thought through decisions and intentional decisions for our family. Oh, wow. Okay. There is going to be so much to unpack <laughs> today. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So I don't know. Do we want to start with, should we start with what your core values are or should we start with the story of how you kind of got to that moment? So you were saying he was a workaholic. Let's maybe start there. Let's start. We'll end on a higher note. Let's start with kind of the 
the muck, right? Like, how did you get there? What was he doing? You were saying that he was really focused on his business, right? And so you decided, so you moved, you sold a bunch of stuff. So what, take us through that process. Where did you even, sure. like, what was going on that made you realize this is not working for us? Yes, I'd love to. And when I say workaholic, I, he really was fitting that societal role of the father provides for the family. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's not like he was not being a dad to the kids, but he was feeling like, this is my role. After I had my second son, I ended up staying home full time with them. So I think he felt this need to spend extra time providing for us, which of course I respect. And that was great. And I'm grateful that I get to be home, but it turned into this, he was constantly working. And then when COVID hit, honestly, they shut down our businesses and gyms were one of the last things to reopen. When we thought to ourselves, what are we going to do? He called it a lifeboat plan. He has these <laughs> great like ways of saying things and presenting things. And like, we need a lifeboat plan. What if we can't reopen? What are we going to do? And that's when the idea of moving kind of came up. But I love how it came up. So my husband and I decided during COVID, we're going to start walking together every day to stay connected. That wasn't really important for us because even if a couple days go by that we don't have like 10 minutes to chat, we start to feel a disconnect. So on one of these walks, our older two were at home and then we had the baby in the stroller. He just kind of said to me, what if we moved? And that just blew my mind. It wasn't something that I had ever considered. I had to, literally pretty much had a panic attack, not to the degree that you, know, you might imagine, but just all these questions in my mind. This isn't something we can do. You're asking me to step out of my comfort zone. What does that mean? But then this, this kind of calm came over me later that evening and I thought, this could be something interesting. We had set our core values before this, which we'll chat on later, but one of our core values was being adventurous. We need to filter this decision through our core values. Does it match? Are we going to just stay here because it's what we're used to, or are we truly going to live by our core values and not just have them hanging on a wall somewhere? The very next morning, I woke up and I printed a list of the 50 states. That's really how this happened. We didn't have like a place we were thinking about going. We just knew that we wanted something adventurous. We have three boys. We want more opportunity for them, more outdoor opportunities, whether it's hiking, biking, whatever, just parks and all that kind of stuff. And we landed on Colorado after a couple of days of discussing. We flew out a few weeks later, bought a house. And there was a long process between buying the house and actually moving. It was like a about a year that we rented it and then we had to sell our house. We had, I was homeschooling that year. So it's a whole other story. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it really threw things. But just to answer your question, truly, it was really a matter of us opening our eyes to what's important. And COVID kind of, I know COVID was terrible, but honestly, there's a lot. If that hadn't happened for our family, we wouldn't be where we are now. We would still mm -hmm. be in our old state, we would still be kind of just living the life that we thought we were supposed to live, not the life that we've now created for ourselves. Mm, yeah, right there. The life you thought you were supposed to be living versus the one you created for yourself. Okay, so tell me a little bit more. You said the thought of moving had never even come up to you before. So you were living in back on the East Coast, you said? Yeah, we were in upstate New York. Okay. And you met in high school. Were you both from there or both of your families still there? Yes, everybody's still there. Everyone's still there. Yeah. Okay. And so you had never lived anywhere else. 
I had never been, uh, I had never even been to Colorado. So the idea of flying out and looking at it was just like, I'd never been to the West Coast at all. So okay. this was really a completely different thing for me. It was exciting, but scary at the same time. And and just to put forth a little bit more about, we, we thought we were living our best life. We had bought what we thought was our dream home. We had mm. two ponds in the back. The kids loved living there. They could swim and fish and it was stunningly beautiful. Um, but we just thought there was more that we could be doing. There was more opportunity that we could do somewhere else. But that had never occurred to us. We're like, well, we're living in our dream home. This is where we're going to stay till you're retired and whatever. So it really just opening our minds to what other people, what what, what we could do to just have a different life for our family. Never okay, occurred to what us was before. it about Colorado? My husband loves to hike. And okay. That was a big piece of it. However, honestly, in upstate New York, it's very cloudy a lot. So we mm. sat at the computer and searched what cities in the country are sunniest. <laughs> that was one of ah. our determining factors. It wasn't like we were super, we weren't crazy deep about the necessarily reasons initially. It's like we want more sun. We want to be okay. able to be outside year round. And yes, we still have the four seasons here and we get snow, but it melts immediately. Not like in New York where it just sits and gets dirty and gray. But yes, we really wanted sun. We wanted a place that was economically growing, and Colorado Springs certainly is. And we just wanted the kids to be able to be in nature more. So those were our big determining factors. And then also maybe people are wondering, well, what are you going to do for work? Because oftentimes people will move because they have a job offer somewhere else. And COVID also allowed us to try on for size what it would be like to manage our business from home. And it was difficult, but we thought we could manage this. We have a great team in place. If we move, we can still manage from home. A lot of those things had to fall into place. And it took us that year to sell our home and do all these different things to be able to finally get in the car and drive. Hmm. Do you mind me asking what the business is? Yes, we have fitness facilities. So we have three gym okay. locations at the time. Yep. And my husband also does consulting. So that's from home which was okay. helpful. But yeah, we had three gym facilities. Do you still have the gym facilities? Yes, we do. <laughs> we so they survived. Them. They survived they through COVID. We had to close one, unfortunately. Okay. Just turnover of people uh, working was really tough. I think that's in many industries now. Mm -hmm. But we consolidated to two locations, but they're doing really well. Nice. Okay. Congrats. Thank that's you. great. Okay. So you still have the two business, the gym facilities, and then he does consulting. And so that's those are the businesses that he runs that you're talking about. I just wanted to make sure I knew what those were. <laughs> yes, of course. And we also have, yeah. we have a couple Airbnbs that we have in Colorado just as an investment. Okay. So we've got our hand, hands in a lot of pots, but it's good. Nice. Do you mind me asking if the cost of living was effective for you moving from upstate New York to Colorado? It, it's more expensive here for sure, but there's also... The taxes are a lot lower. Like, for example, our home in New York did not necessarily get any. We, we lived in it for maybe seven years and the value didn't increase at all. We honestly took mm. a loss on that sale. Whereas oh. the home we bought here, and we've lived here for two years. It's already gone up in value. So those kind of things were really important. We wanted to live in a place that financially was setting us up for success versus in, in New York. Really, the area we were in just wasn't growing. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is why I ask those questions because you never know. Like there are so many different areas. I mean, I live in San Diego and it is crazy here. Houses have doubled. I don't doubled. think it's as expensive as there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. The houses have literally doubled. 
and wow. and not like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand. I'm talking one million to two million. Like it is oh. insane. I don't like we currently rent, and I don't know like if we'll ever be able to buy a house here just because. I mean, two million dollars for a house, like a, a house that was built in 1970s. It's three bedrooms. It's not even like a mansion. Like it's insane. I know. We'll and, see that part. I hope that it works out for you. I mean, this is what comes to mind. When we first bought this yeah. house here, we rented it for a year and it did really well. So when we finally moved in, I told my husband, I said, I feel kind of guilty living in this house because we could live somewhere that's a little bit mm. more affordable and then we could make money on renting this. But after we we discussed it, he's like, we've worked hard for 15 years on our business. Has been like I mentioned earlier, was gone a lot. I mean, he was teaching mm -hmm. for a while and had the business. So he was gone 12 hours a day. This was almost like the gift to ourselves to celebrate the fact that we had worked so hard for so long. Then I no longer felt bad about it. It's like I'm enjoying the place where I live. I don't want to feel bad that it costs more money or something because we worked so hard for it. It's like a gift to us. And when he presented it to me that way, I said, okay, I won't feel bad anymore. <laughs> I like that perspective shift. That's really neat. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors who allow us to produce this podcast for you. This podcast is supported by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the Active Skin Repair because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair. And to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. I would like to, I know he sometimes joins you on these interviews, and I would love to know his perspective. Maybe you have heard him talk about this so you can share about letting go of that expectation. I think we as moms talk a lot about the expectation of taking care of the home and taking care of the kids and all the mom guilt and that kind of stuff. But his perspective too on feeling, like you said, when your second son came along, that pressure to provide for the family, to be the breadwinner, to do all of that. How did that shift? I know you were saying you sold a lot of things and you moved and hopefully that's lightened the load a bit, but do you have any perspective or anything you can share there about how that changed sure. for him? 
this uh, to, to explain it, I have to go back a little bit. So when we were in yeah. the midst of him working all the time and I was home with my little babies, because literally we started our first gym, like right after a few months after I gave birth to my first son. So that was like, oh my gosh, you're not going to be here at all now. <laughs> like That was really mm. difficult. In my mind, I was very patient and I always thought to myself, the time will come when he'll be able to be here more. And I recognize, and I'm a very patient person, so I waited for years and years. And if you ask some of my friends, they'd say, yeah, you would talk about how frustrating that was. I would drive home from picking up my son from um, daycare because I did work for a little while at the time. And I'd see couples walking down the street, like pushing their baby in the stroller. And I was like, I don't have that because he's at work till basically after the kids are already asleep. The perspective shift, though, and he would answer this much better than I would, I'm sure. I think it came from him recognizing. He just had this aha moment where he's like, I just am not seeing them much. I don't have family dinners with them. I feel disconnected. And I think in the back of his mind, he always knew that he was doing this for us, to provide for us, but he wasn't providing that dad stuff. He was just being the provider. I don't know exactly how he would put it. But when we did move, now the focus has really shifted. Like we have family dinners every night. We never had that before. And I also, I'm really good at knowing when the kids are struggling in different ways. I mentioned earlier, I have a 13-year-old, 11 and 5. So the 13-year-old needs his dad more now. I can't provide for him what my husband can at this stage of life. I mean, I like the five-year-old, that's kind of, I'm glad I still have a little one, right? Because like, I, I'm yeah. good at that stuff. I'm good at the baby stuff. I'm good at the the nurturing of the little ones. But he just started playing football, my eighth grader. And he, I, I can support him. I can cheer him on. But like, I don't have that knowledge base. Like, I don't know. My husband played football in college. So he's no, so I think he just recognized with my gentle pushing, we call it constant gentle pressure, not like, hey, you're not around. Like the kids need you. What are you doing? It's more like they're getting older. They're going to need you a little bit more. So I think part of it was my patience with reminding him that's important. And then he really had to recognize that on his own. And I think when COVID hit, that shifted for him because he thought, well, hey, if I'm not leaving the home to go to work all the time, I need to be here and be more present. So I, ho I hope that gives some perspective, but yeah. it really was him just taking it by the horns. And then me as being the supportive partner, just kind of nudging that along and not avoiding it because I knew it was going to come to a head eventually. Like the kids are going to mm. recognize that you're not around. <laughs> well, one thing you said there early on that I think is really interesting was you noticing the other families pushing the strollers and doing things together. And I think for people listening, that right there, that little tidbit, like how do you know when something is a problem? It's when you recognize it almost in other people, right? Like you probably, if that didn't bother you, you wouldn't have even noticed that there were couples pushing that stroller together. But the fact that you noticed it means that it bothered you. Because there are things that happen around us all the time that we don't even notice, that never even make it into our conscious mind that we just are like, oh yeah, or you take it for granted. And it's because those things don't bother us. But that particular thing really bothered you because it was an issue. So I thought that was really interesting because I get people, I hear that question a lot. Well, how do I know if something, well, does it, do you notice it? Does it affect you? And that's just a good way for people to see, I think, that in practice. I appreciate that. It, it really does. And I mean, I, I still remember driving and seeing that because it was a particular couple that like I worked with that mom. It, it really sticks in my mind very clearly that I noticed that. 
I think it's also a matter of you have to ask yourself, am I just doing what I'm doing or are my expectations based on what I truly want or are they just based on what people tell me I should want? Mm. Like we've always done things differently. The majority of people that I know have like a nine to five job. They go home, they do the walk with their baby or whatever. That was never my life. And instead of being angry about it, I wanted to find some better way. And then fast forward five years, we moved and like found our better way, but it took patience and thought and intention. Before we get to your core family values, I want to talk about how you said you sold, and I don't know if you said this on the podcast yet, but you told me you sold 80% of your things when you moved or you got rid of them. Tell us about that process. What was it like deciding what to keep, what to move, and how did that affect your family? a great question. I actually really put thought into this because you had told me ahead of time that's what we would focus on. And I thought I really <laughs> want to think back and like put myself yeah. in those shoes. Because honestly, when we first uh, considered moving, I recognized I was going to have to list my home back in New York. Mm -hmm. And I loved my house. So that itself was just an emotional struggle. And being able to tell the kids this is what we're going to be doing because they weren't necessarily very pleased. And I do have a story about that I think you'll enjoy. Um, and I was also homeschooling that one year because I just didn't want the kids to be doing online learning. They were only going to be able to go in one day a week. It just wasn't going to cut it for us. So all those things coming together, I had to tell myself one step at a time, like literally, what do I have to do today to move forward? And the kids would be like, hey, when we move, can we buy a four-wheeler? And I'm like, that's like step 10,000. Like that's not even like I'm on step one of how am I going to show this house tomorrow when I have homeschool paperwork everywhere. So we had this system of these bins where like we take everything down, put them in the bins, put it in the garage. Everything would be clear. We'd have to head out. And we also had two dogs at the time. And we just had to have this system. But I had to tell myself, I just need to think about right now, today, one step at a time. But to, the actual part of like, what are we going to keep and what are we going to move? There's a couple different things. I have a brother-in-law who lived nearby and they were basically in need of better furniture. Like all of my big furniture, we gave them. When we visited them last summer, I'm like, wow, this is like all my stuff. <laughs> I felt great knowing that it went to someone who's going to use it. And some of the stuff was like my dad built my furniture when I was a kid. So I had a desk that he had built, had a dresser that he had built. And these were things and this is part of the whole decluttering thing, right? Like you're emotionally attached to stuff. I felt better that it went to my brother-in-law than to just went to someone random. But I just recognized that we were purchasing was furnished since we were going to be renting it. I had to just let go of some of that emotional stuff. But the way it's helped me now is like if I had to move again, like I'm not as attached to my stuff anymore because it's just not, it's okay. It was just deciding who it goes to, but I also had to have a big yard sale because you want to get some money for your stuff. You're not going to just toss it all. And I recognized very quickly that my kids were not going to be able to be there during that yard sale because <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the kids will see what you're going to sell and they're like, you can't sell that. I want that. Like this still fits me or I still play with that. And even if they don't, it's that sentimental thing for them. So I had to ask my mother-in-law who has like a lake house a couple hours away. I'm like, can you please take them there for the weekend and just rip the bandaid off and just do it. And then when they come home, the stuff just won't be there, but it is what it is. So we have to kind of process that. So that was my system. And then we also had a massive dumpster and we had to just throw away whatever we didn't need. And the one thing I remember that I struggled with 
was my kids' school projects. They did a couple of years of these, like those trifold boards and they would like do a book report or something like that. I still get a little emotional thinking about it, but I took pictures of all of them and then mm -hmm. just them in the dumpster. I had to hide them in the dumpster because I don't think the kids really realized that I was throwing them away. I couldn't tell them everything I was throwing away. It, it just, you have to kind of pick and choose your battles because they're going to want to keep everything. So those are some of the things that like highlight for me. I just, but it was an emotional thing. I also knew where I was heading. As an adult, I can see the big picture. Like we're going to a really cool place. It's beautiful there. The stuff doesn't matter. It's our family that matters. It's our values that matter. We're going to go on this adventure together. And, but the kids don't always have that kind of perspective. So if I can share a story about my middle son. Yeah. So Actually, before you get to that story real yeah. quick, I want to just jump in with a couple things, a couple tips I had thought of. So one thing that works well for us in our home with the kids' things, um, for those listening, is selling the big thing, right? So our daughter sold her Barbie dream house and used the money. Actually, I'm going to back up. She had a toy kitchen, which was sold and then repurposed into the Barbie dream house. And then the Barbie dream house was sold and repurposed into the giant Harry Potter castle, Lego castle. Oh, so wow. it was easier to sell those things when you said you get the money and you get to spend it on whatever toy you want. In future, that might be a good uh, way to help sell their things if they're not quite sure. You can be like, "Do you would you like to upgrade to something else? What's on your wish list? That's um, a good idea. Thank you. And then <laughs> the other one that I thought of when they were talking about, which would be really great, and I haven't done this either, so it just kind of popped in my mind and I want to try it for the kid projects, is when they bring those projects home at whatever age they are, take a video of them explaining it to you. Yes, and that, that way you have, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about it too. Like our daughter did a roller coaster. I have a picture of a picture of it, but gosh, wouldn't it have been great to have a video of her explaining the project that they did at the age she was? It was a couple, it was probably, you know, it was two and a half, three years ago. Now at this point, it would have been great to have that in the archives. And I would care less about having, I never want the roller coaster in my house anyway, <laughs> being on a cardboard. I, that thing was a nightmare, but the video of her would have been great and just, again, no that's regret. Fantastic, but, yeah. But moving forward, I think that's going to be something I implement in our house. So, all right. That's a great idea. <laughs> you know, that reminds me when my son presented the one in kindergarten about this particular book. It was like these little yeah. birds and the aide in the classroom videotaped it and emailed it to me. I'm going to have to go see if I still have that. I hope that I do. Yeah, I'm sure you'll oh, find yeah. it. You'll have to share when you find it. <laughs> it was so sweet. But you're right, even... The point, I love your point about doing it at the age that they made it. That's so much more powerful than, hey, like you're 10 years older now. Like, do you remember this thing? That's a great mm -hmm. idea. No, oh, thank you. All right. So get back to your story. I want to, now I want to hear the story about you were about to go into. Yes. Yeah, so my 11 year old, who I guess was eight or nine at the time, he took it the hardest. So our youngest was mm -hmm. just like two or three. He really didn't understand what was going on. And the oldest was kind of, he didn't have a ton of close friends. He was, yeah, this sounds kind of cool. Let's do it. <laughs> and, but the middle one really struggled and he wouldn't let me hug him anymore. He wouldn't like at bedtime, we have a whole routine. And before our, I would read to them and all this stuff, he just wouldn't let me hug him anymore. I couldn't touch him. He was so angry about this move. And 
instead of taking it and you get personally, of course, I, I was upset. And then I would go talk to my husband about it. And I'm sure I cried and all that. But I understood that I need to compartmentalize a bit here because my son is going through something and he cannot see the bigger picture like we see. Like now that we're here, he loves it. He's thriving. But you're not going to go back and say, hey, I told you. Like, that's not helpful. <laughs> At the time, I came up with this idea. I'm going to start leaving him notes in his bedroom, like hidden notes. And they'll just say things like, I love you or something from the day that I want to tell him because he wasn't really letting me communicate with him face to face. I need to find a way to stay connected. So initially he would find the note and he would look at me and he would rip it. <laughs> so yes, He would like stare at me in the eye and he would just stare it. And like, of course that broke my heart. Right. But I was like, okay, I'm just going to be patient and I'm just going to stick with it. And after probably a couple weeks of that, he would start opening it and reading it. Initially, he would just tear it. Now he was reading it. And then eventually he would say to me, tonight, you can hug me, but just hug me. And like, I think because he was, I was seeing him progressing forward. It like gave me the, just the, uh, the motivation to keep moving and keep writing these notes. And of course the older one was like, where are my notes? <laughs> I'm like, well, you're not struggling right now. <laughs> I might have ended up writing some for him as well, but I poignantly remember the one for the middle son because he was struggling so much. And eventually he was able to process through this. Because I think as moms sometimes, especially if we're home with the kids all the time, they will direct their feelings towards us. I don't think he was truly angry at me. He was angry at the situation. And I was able to separate that out and do this whole note thing with him. And I'm so glad that I did. And he's doing phenomenally now. Well, it's good to hear that it was happy a happy ending for sure. That <laughs> right? had to have been such a struggle to go through as you were going through it. And it's easy to look back and say, oh, it was just part of the process. But in that moment, I can imagine your heart was breaking. And I had someone tell me one time, I am so thankful for this woman. Uh, she was the woman that was watching our daughter when she was little. She was, I think, two at the time. She told me, because I was struggling, I was just like, it's not fair. Our daughter is so mean to me. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I get all the crap from her. And she said, it's because you're her safe space. Yeah. You are the place she gets to let down, let it down. Like, you are the place. You are the person she gets to, like, just have those emotions with. She doesn't get to have those elsewhere. She doesn't feel safe elsewhere. And so that perspective shift changed my entire life with my daughter, like changed my entire relationship with her from being the victim of why does she treat me so badly to she's going through something. She needs me to be here to be that space for her. So I am so thankful to uh, that moment in my life. It was so eye-opening. Let's take one more quick break to hear from today's sponsors. And when we come back, we will keep talking about these perspective shifts and get into those core family values. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. Mm. 
So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I completely agree. I totally get what you're saying. And this will happen sometimes where the kids will be seemingly fine and then they'll turn around at you and then they'll show how they're actually feeling. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought you were totally fine. Like, why did you just turn around and show me that you're not? But then I remember, because I agree, I have the same perspective where they feel safe enough with me to show me that what they're actually going through. You don't want yeah. your kids to fake it with you, but it's also a matter of you can't take it personally. They're not mad at me. They're mad at whatever they're going through. So knowing that helps you kind of push through. Yeah. I mean, they're putting on the brave face for everybody else, right? That's the deal. Yes. That's what I took away from it. Like they're and I do it too, right? Like we all put on our front when we leave and are putting ourselves out into the real world, quote unquote, and having that place to retreat to and being that person then made me feel so much better. I was like, oh yeah, yeah I get the crap. <laughs> no, it's almost like a great thing now. Like you get totally. a, little bit, a little bit less kindly sometimes, but it's because you're yeah. in this amazing position in their life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So but it helps me get through those rougher days. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I agree. I appreciate okay. the reminder too. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. You reminded me to remind you. So it oh, all works out. It's a lovely little circle to remind myself as well. And our daughter is 10. So we are in for a few years, I'm sure, of some fun. So it's a good reminder at all times. <laughs> You'll be more prepared with that perspective, I think. Yeah, I think so too. So I have promised that we would get to this point, but I want to know what are your core family values? I am very curious to know. Sure, I would love to share them. I just want to preface it by saying a lot of times people who don't have core family values, they might want to just jump and like take someone else's, but it's really mm -hmm. a unique thing to your family. And uh, we do have a process of how to create them, but ours are have gratitude, which is like the biggest thing. Always try to find silver lining, something we're thankful for, regardless of what's going on. The other one is be genuine, where we're, we have an identity as a family, but each individual person within the families, of course, has their own skills and talents and abilities. And we celebrate that and try to find things to just to help like create that born, that person. The third one is wanting to be together, which I love that one. So the kids eventually are going to grow up and go on and have their own lives. And we want them to still want to be part of this family. We want to have fun together and we do it. We enjoy each other's company a lot now. I mean, we live under the same roof, but we truly live together. We don't just like live in our own separate little worlds. 
So we want to, that oftentimes helps us like in the evening, if we're bored, we come into a room, we hang out, something fun will happen. Like out of boredom comes creativity, but people could easily just retreat to their own corners of the house. So we try to live together. Another, I think I mentioned earlier is be adventurous. And this isn't, this is like stepping out of your comfort zone. It can be things like hiking, but it's more doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. And then the last two are pers a personal accountability. It's really important that we don't play the blame game in our family. We try to be like personally accountable for our choices because eventually our kids are going to be adults and they need to be accountable for the, whatever they do. They can't blame other people for their circumstances. They need to be accountable. And finally, personal development. So we're forever learners. And I think you've, I've heard you say that before. We always want to learn more. School is just one piece of life. That's been really important for my kids to understand. I grew up with a different perspective, a different generation where school was like the most important thing. And I don't resent that, but I think there's so much more to life than school. And even as adults, even doing this podcast, huge personal development for me. I never thought I would do something like this. So those are our six values that the kids have memorized. We carry them with us at all times, and we're always trying to make choices based on them. They're like our filter for our family. I love this idea. And it's interesting because I feel like we have a set core, like a set of values, but I don't have them written down. And it makes me think our daughter's school has these eight things as well that they have written down and the work are worked into the curriculum and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know what? We should be writing this stuff down. This makes sense. And having this conversation of what are the things that are most important to us, where does someone start? Where would you Great question. <laughs> so what we did was we took like two weeks. So we decided we're going to do this first of all. So you have to breach the conversation. Like, here's this idea. What do you think? And a lot of families, they want to be great families. Like you said, you kind of have this ambiguous idea of what you're about but it's very powerful to hone in and really figure it out. So my husband and I separately took like two weeks and wrote down just an exhaustive list of anything we find that is of value to us. And it could be spirituality. It can be love of reading. It can be gratitude, anything that you find valuable, even if it seems silly. And after those two weeks, we basically set a time. I think we actually did this while we were driving like for six hours. So we had mm. like our undivided attention at the time. Well, kind of undivided, obviously he's driving, but we went through a process called kill, keep, or combine. So things that were important to us, but weren't core to who we are. We're not going to fight for these things. We would kill, we'd cross them off. And then other things that were just like stuff that might make it to the end, keep it and then combine. So if I had thankfulness, Joe had gratitude written down, we would just combine it. And eventually it took a couple of times and it took a lot of deep conversation to really get down the final six. Now, I think I would recommend like three to seven. You mentioned the school has like eight because what's mm -hmm. memorable is portable. Nobody's going to remember 15 to 20 values. Like it's just too right. much. Once we thought of them and a little caveat, if you are doing this and you have like teenagers or if your kid is just, you think that they'd be able to be included in it, ask them what they think. Our kids were little at the time. So we basically created them and shared it with them. And I love visuals. So I created little bookmarks. And they had all the values written down and a little tiny description because like, I don't think a kid is going to know what personal development is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we still have it hanging in the kitchen, but we had it at the table every night for like months just so they could recognize it and start to learn it. We would talk about it. And then as you start to talk about these things on a daily basis, your choices start to become more aligned with those values. 
And like I said earlier, had we not had that set of values, I don't think we would have moved. Because we mm -hmm. really, you start thinking about what you're losing. Like you're, we're going to give up being close to grandparents, right? That was the biggest struggle for me. But we had to consider like, what's the opportunity cost? We're gaining all this stuff, but this one thing is holding me back. Is that enough to stay? And based on our values, we decided it wasn't enough to stay. Not to say that those relationships aren't super important. And honestly, they come visit us and it's like wonderful. We have so much quality time because um, they're not just coming and going. But anyway, that, that's the process that we went through. And it is it does seem maybe a little overwhelming. And you could even search online like list of values just to kind of get started. But I, I promise you, once you have them, it just makes family living so much more intentional and easier and your kids will gain so much from it. Hmm. So good. I was going to ask, what is the, I, my question was going to be, at what point do you involve the children? Is there kind of like a, I mean, not an age cutoff, because obviously someone, it, it depends on your emotional and just kind of your maturity level. Right. But kind of at what point do you bring them in? If they're teenagers, yes, maybe you invite them at the very beginning. If they're preteen, do you kind of get some buy-in? Would you bring them in maybe at the time where you're doing the kill, keep, and combine list? Or what do you think? I think that it's always good to first start this conversation with just your spouse or partner or whatever. Because if you started with the kid and the other adult in the <laughs> house doesn't have buy-in, I think you're yeah. going to have a hard time. <laughs> good point. So good I point. think having that conversation first and even starting maybe take a week and just start the list and then kind of see what's happening and then include the kids. I think with little ones, like, like you have a 10-year-old, I think your kid best. And even now, with my kids being 13, 11, and 5, I still think that my husband and I would have come up with the list first. Mm -hmm. It's hard to say just because we've already been living with this for a while. And I think you really have to know your kid. You don't want to include them unless you're certain. Because I think sometimes kids just like structure and they like to be like, hey, here's the list that we came up with. Here's our six things or seven things. What do you think? So get their input. And then if one of them just really seems to not work, whittle it down. Or you can say something like, we came up with this list. We're going to live with this for a month. We're going to try this on for size. And it's not set in stone. And then after a month, if let's say the kid's like, this really is just not working for us. Get their input that way. So get their input while you're trying it on for size, if that makes sense. But I think some mm -hmm. of that homework has to be done ahead of time. Otherwise, it can be overwhelming for the kid. Like, what is a okay. value? What do you mean? You know what I mean? That might not even yeah. be on their in their vocabulary. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I think our daughter would be a little more understanding since they have these at school, right? These eight that they're constantly yeah. referring to. I think she would understand like, oh, okay, I have these at school. We're going to have them at home. But again, I agree with that concept of yes, make sure you have the buy-in first from the <laughs> other adult. And probably the same way in the way you do a lot of different things in your house, especially if they're new uh, things like moving or decluttering <laughs> or depending on I always tell people start with yourself uh, when it comes to decluttering because until you go through that emotional process it's really hard to understand what other people are going through um, and so I always tell people to start with themselves and it's kind of the same way if you're looking at these core values you might want to think about them yourself how do you so someone's listening to this, they want to bring this up to their partner. Any tips on how to bridge that conversation? 
Well, they could play this part of the podcast if they want to have for sure. us explain it to them <laughs> a little bit. I think, I mean, we have, so the core values are one component of our strong family path that we talk about on our podcast. And honestly, everything flows from the core values. Hmm. So I think that, I think even just checking that out would be helpful. But if you're a family that you want to be a great family, you just want to define it a little more. Like great is almost too ambiguous. You have to be more specific. And it's like an empowering thing. It's not like, hey, hey, Joe, our family's terrible. We need to figure out these values. No, it's like, hey, we got a lot of cool stuff going on. And why don't we try to, like, not, I'm trying to explain how to put it, like put it on paper, so to speak, so that we truly know what we are, who we are, what we're going to fight for. And then the kids have a more of an understanding of like their family identity. I think sometimes this is the other piece that might be helpful to say to a partner. If you don't come up with your values at home, your kids are going to find them elsewhere. Some of those values they find might be great. Maybe they're on a sports team and they're learning community and they're learning how to work together. That's a great value. But then what if they also are hearing things at school or they're like have a friend who might not have such great values or at least ones that you don't agree with? So I think it's important a perspective to maybe say something like, if we don't come up with these values in our home, the kids are going to get them and we're not going to have control over it anymore. Hmm. I like that. Okay. Interesting. So tell us a little bit more about this strong family path. What does that mean? Sure. So this kind of developed organically over time. It was different things that my husband and I implemented at home, things like a morning routine, things like family dinners and weekly family meetings. And we would have people visit us and they would say, hey, this is kind of cool what you guys are doing. Do you have like a system you go by? And we didn't really have a system. We just kind of implemented things randomly and it was working. We sat down and thought, what do we do every day or at least on a weekly basis that helps our family run like a high functioning organization? Again, it's taken from business. What kind of organizations, what do highly functioning organizations do? And Sometimes it can sound a little boring. Like when you hear the word meeting, it's like, oh, that sounds terrible. But ours are really fun. <laughs> and the kids look forward to them. And I'm not lying. Like they they are upset if we miss one. Because again, it's time to connect. It's time for us to share something we did that week that aligned with a value. Time to discuss. And like we're talking about buy-in earlier, the kids can bring up any topic they want. And they oftentimes solve the problem. They give the ideas of what to do. So it's not just mom and dad telling you what to do. It's like a whole family system. We all are organized and working together. So the path is truly something that it's just things that we've implemented in our lives that help the family run more smoothly. And it's all based on the values. So that's really the foundation. Like we set goals as a family and as individuals. And like I mentioned, the morning routine, the kids get up in the morning with purpose they don't just roll out of bed and groan. Like, I mean, they kind of do still when I wake them up, but <laughs> they have tasks they need to accomplish. They get to contribute to how the family runs in the morning. And it just gives everybody value. Everybody in the family brings value. And it's just a more organized system. And the other one I haven't mentioned is the evening debrief, which is really valuable too. I noticed that in the evening before I would, like when I'd say goodnight to the kids, that's when they bring up the tough topics. They mm -hmm. don't want to bring it up at dinner or earlier in the day. It's like right as you're about to leave and, mm -hmm. and go to bed and you're like done with the day that they bring up something deep. And I just recognize that as an important time of day. We can't just walk away and say, we'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm tired because it's not going to come up tomorrow, especially as you get older kids. They're going to forget or they're going to say, well, she didn't have the time for me, so forget it. 
I'll go elsewhere. And so it's just like that intentional time in the evening when I sit with the older two. I put the younger one to bed because these topics obviously are probably inappropriate for a five-year-old. And we're able to discuss or they need to just complain a little bit or get some input. But again, it's just it's building those relationships within the family. And that's another piece of the path as well is recognizing that you are a family as a whole. But within that, there's all these microsystems. There's like each individual. There's siblings. There's each parent to each child, like all those different relationships require intentionality and thought. And I think the more you recognize that perspective, you might see, hey, my younger two are fighting a lot more lately. Something's going on there we need to handle. Or maybe mom and dad aren't spending enough time together and they're disconnected. Again, just having more awareness of what's happening inside the family. Hmm. Evening debrief. I like this. Certain time, like when in the evening do you do this as part of your bedtime routine? In my family, I put my five-year-old to bed and then my older two shower and then they get to go sit and watch TV while I'm putting the other one to bed. And then as soon as I enter where they are, they turn everything off. We do a prayer. I read to them. And oftentimes during the prayer part, we do some gratitude. That's when the topics come up. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. things that happened at school. So I don't have necessarily like a total set time, but it's basically right after I put my five-year-old to bed, I go join them. And that's kind of when it starts. Okay. Interesting. All right. I have to think about that because yes, that does happen. The light's out. You're saying goodnight for the last time, giving the kiss and oh, like this happened. And you're just like, okay, mentally, like I had just this, I had turned (laughs) my switch off and I was leaving the room to go do whatever else I wanted to go do that evening. And yeah. Okay. So having a time yeah, where we could figure out when we could meet before we get to that moment would be great because she definitely needs right. to sleep. And I exactly. feel like that would, when she has those moments to talk it out, she does sleep better, right? Because she's not ruminating on it before she goes to bed. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to spend the extra 30 minutes in there having those conversations because my brain is elsewhere. And it's very exactly. hard for me to remain patient and calm while they're talking through the things. But I think, huh. too, if you like make the decision that this is a time that's going to be for this, having that expectation makes it a little easier. Like if I went yes. downstairs every time and then they brought it up and I was like, oh, again, I have to stay down here. But I instead, I go there with that purpose. And some nights yeah. nothing comes up. And I don't walk in and say, hey, do you guys have a topic tonight? It just mm. organically comes up. And as a parent, being mentally aware and available to them during that time of day, I think is really valuable. Because And as yeah. like my 13-year-old, as he gets older now, like if I didn't set that foundation with him, when is he going to come to me? Is right. he going to come to me? So I think it's important mm-hmm. to just have that expectation. And then the kids know too. After you've done this for a while, the kids will know, like, I have a sensitive topic. Right. Here's a time that I can deal with it. Yeah. Right. And just like we go through, and just so everyone knows, I don't do the, oh, oh gosh, in front of her. That's all <laughs> internal. <laughs> <laughs> That's all internal. The face is like, hey, hold it straight. Plus it's dark. It's very helpful. But... Um, just like we do other things that are expected, cleaning up the dishes, cleaning up after yourself, tidying up around the house, all those kinds of things. Yes. As you do them, routines, right? It's just any other routine. Once it becomes a routine, it just happens. And I know people use the word autopilot in a negative way, but I love using it in a way that's like, but it just happened without anybody doing anything. Wasn't that fantastic? 
when they're the good things that you want to happen. I can see having this as a regular occurrence, yes, does become that part where that's just part of the day. If you're not saying this is the part where we're going to have this moment, how did it start organically then? Well, I would go down there and I would always do a prayer with them and read them a book. Okay. And I just happened to notice that during the prayer time is when the things would come up. So I started to just think in my head, like, this is a common occurrence that a topic will come up at this time of day. So that's when I just decided I'm going to make sure I'm available. I, w I didn't say to the kids, like, I'm going to come down every night. And if something comes up, I'll stay and talk to you. Like, I wasn't direct with them about it. I was just in my mind, I made a decision that because I'm noticing this pattern of behavior, this pattern of topics coming up, that I will then be available to them mentally, even if I'm like dying, I'm not dying, but even if I'm like so tired and all I want to do is go like, I mean, I fold laundry in the evening, but it's the time of the day that no one's talking to me and I can just sit. <laughs> so it mm -hmm. might seem silly that I want to go fold that laundry, but I just want to make sure I set up that time. And it's actually kind of funny because some nights I'll come upstairs at like 930 and my husband will say, wow, it must have, they must have really brought up some topics tonight. Because like usually I'm up a little bit sooner. Yeah. So it's almost a joke between us now. But just, yeah, it just kind of developed and I noticed it. Just like you mentioned earlier, I noticed that family walking with the stroller, the after dinner or whatever it was, and that I didn't have that. I, I had an issue with that, right? Same thing with here. I noticed something happening. Instead of just avoiding it or ignoring it, I chose to make a decision and just be available. Love that. Yep. All starts with noticing. <laughs> I love that. So very cool. All right. Well, you have a freebie where people can download this seven element to a strong family path, correct? Yes. So we're at strongfamilyproject.com and you can just click on begin the path and you could download our PDF. It's free. It explains the different elements of the path and they all are just geared towards making a stronger family unit. I love that. I will definitely be checking it out. But Mel, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing and giving us a different perspective. I think that was really neat. And there are definitely some things I am going to implement after this. Um, one, downloading that so that I can start with our core family values and making sure that we are all on the same page and making sure that our expectations are in alignment as well. So uh, I love it. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome. It was great talking with you. All right. Well, I'm not gonna let you go just yet because <laughs> I always end each episode with three rapid fire questions that so you're not quite off the hook. The first one is, <laughs> what does clutter free mean to you? It means I can go to bed and not feel anxious about stuff, like mm. literal stuff in my house. Like I cannot go to bed until the kitchen is like tidied up. So for me, it's like I, I base my clutter free feeling on am I anxious or not? Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> Very cool. I always love getting everyone's answer to it because it's always slightly different. And so it's really interesting to see how people interpret it. So I love it. The second one is what is one thing you want to make sure any, anyone listening to the show and they walk away with just one or two things, what are one of those key things you really want to make sure that people walk away with? I really want every family to have core values like thought through and typed up and put somewhere where everybody can see them. I just think it's life-changing. We're cool. All right. Well, you've gotten me on board, so we'll be doing that. <laughs> yeah. So check. Uh, and then the third <laughs> one is what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? 
Well, my older two boys are both doing sports, and this is the first time they're both doing school sports, and they're in sixth and eighth grade, and it's been so amazing to watch. So that's really been really special for me is watching the eighth grader play football and the sixth grader play soccer. The first time in my life that's really been happening, so I love that. Oh, super fun. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, I wish you all the best of luck in this sports season and hope it all turns out well and they have a blast doing it. Yeah. So far, so good. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no worries. All right. Well, now you are off the hook and I will let you carry on with the rest of your day. Thanks again for sharing so openly and giving us some really awesome things to think about. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. I loved connecting with Mel on our common experience of selling the majority of our belongings to go after a different life with our families. And while parts of that were challenging, neither of us regrets any of it. But I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. What were your favorite parts? Did you have any big takeaways? Comment on this post on Instagram, or you can send me a DM. I'm at wannabeclutterfree on the social channels, or you can leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. You can comment on the specific episode in Spotify. Uh, you can leave a comment on my website. You can also leave a comment on YouTube. There are lots of ways to connect, but there's also a community we have over on Facebook. So you can join us on the Wannabe Minimalist family group over there and share within that community. There will be a discussion thread for this episode, and we would love to chat with you in the comments. And thanks again to Mel for joining us on the show today, sharing about her journey and her experiences with creating core family values. Remember, you can get more detailed show notes by heading over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 171. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 171 to find out more about Mel and the resources discussed on today's episode. And as always, thank you for joining me today too. And with that, I hope you have an amazing day and I will see you back here next week for a solo episode where I will be talking about digital clutter. Until next time, take care, think clutter-free, and remember, I believe in you. I'm Deanna Yates and you've been listening to Wannabe Clutter-Free. I'll see you next week. Cheers. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.